please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 25th of November 2020. It's 10 o'clock Central European time. It's your morning espresso. So if you're watching live, then you can select below the different languages that we have uh, where we have simultaneous translators uh, speaking as we speak, and uh, you can select from the list below. We also have a Q&A button, so if you click on that, you can send us your questions, but you can also always reach us uh, by sending emails to nordiafunds at nordia.com. Right, well, this week I'm very pleased to say that I'm joined by Katerina Hammer. Uh, Katerina is our Head of Active Ownership within the Responsible Investment Teams at Nordia. So good morning, Katerina. Are you there? Good morning. Yes, I'm here. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, so I heard uh, that yesterday you had a bit of snow up in uh, up in Sweden. Uh, it's very cold up there, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing winter's well and truly arrived. Yes, very, very little s snow, but it's starting. Yeah. Well, um, today we were going to talk um, about engagement and typically uh, here at Nordea we, we engage with companies on, on three different levels. Uh, we have the, the individual engagement, then we have the collective in engagement and finally we have the sort of industry level engagement. So I just wondered if perhaps you could start off by giving us um, a quick overview of each of those. Of course. Uh, so the individual engagement, that's usually when we meet uh, management or different parts of the company uh, to discuss an ESG risk that we have identified and where we need more information or might also have expectations on the company. Mm -hmm. And then the collaborative engagement, that's when we join forces with other investor colleagues um, to drive change in companies and a good example of that would be climate action 100 plus mm -hmm. which i think you've mentioned a few times before yeah. and then the the third type of engagement is what we call the industry-led engagement and that's that's when we believe that there's a topic or an esg issue um, that needs to be addressed and it's not sufficient that it's only one company addressing it because it's an issue for the whole sector. So then we will try um, to engage either industry organizations or of course also the individual companies to, to drive change in that perspective. Exactly and so the reason we, we asked you on this morning for the Morning Expresso was really to talk about um, a case where we were engaging at an industry level because that's something we haven't um, discussed in the past. And here at Nordea, we've been uh, working together with the global pharma industry to address issues in the specifically in the Indian uh, supply chain. So perhaps you could just now explain to us a bit of the background um, to this engagement. 
Yes, of course. So the, the reason why we started this uh, engagement was lack of transparency, you could say. So when we are assessing um, the risks in the pharmaceutical supply chain, uh, the risk with the pharmaceutical companies and their supply chain in India, we know that um, the suppliers in India is growing and that there's several challenges, both for the environment and for the health of the communities. Um, so we started off with an independent research and also a field visit, which you see some of the pictures here on the ground. Mm -hmm. And the, the findings were quite severe. So um, that's, that's really the background to, to why we initiated this. It was to, to address an ESG risk in the pharmaceutical companies, which we thought uh, we needed more information to make an assessment um, of. And, and was this something that came up as a result of work that we were doing with companies that it became apparent that there were these issues in India, or was it something that really was known within the industry and therefore we went and, and started this uh, engagement? I mean, that that water is an issue in India that was quite, we were aware of that and also that uh, suppliers in India for the pharmaceutical se sector was increasing was another known issue. But then we went to the ground as we do sometimes to mm -hmm. field visit, to really explore uh, and discuss with different stakeholders. And then we also initiated an independent investigation. Mm -hmm. And then we used all that material uh, to bring to the pharmaceutical companies and, and express our expectations that this is a risk that needs to be managed and also where there needs to be more transparency on mm -hmm. how uh, it's being managed. Mm -hmm. And also, I think, uh, sorry. Uh, and, and another known risk is, of course, the antimicrobial resistance, the AMR, which is one of the, the biggest threats, I guess you could say, to, to health and wealth in the world. And especially in these days with the pandemic, I think, anti, um, sorry, um, antibiotics resistance is yep. really a challenge. So that's also connected to or part of the background, I guess you could say, to why this was an, a topic that we we decided to to engage on. So, so you mentioned there, you know, we we actually went the responsible investment team from Nordea went into India to see the issues, and and I guess taking those photos on that slide that we just saw, um, that was part of the findings. But you also used an external company as well, uh, as well as our own research. To, to produce this report, which then got taken to the pharma industry. Um, but that wasn't the end of the story, was it? So, so what happened when you then published those findings? What, what happened afterwards? Uh, so we took those findings to the pharmaceutical companies um, to share with them um, and, and asked, expressed a few expectations and we were also invited to the pharmaceutical supply chain initiative because part of our expectations and the first meetings with the companies when we brought the the photos and the the movie and also the uh, investigation or not uh, the research mm. um, was to to discuss with them so 
do you as a company have suppliers in this area and what are you doing to address it? Um, and also that we thought that this is an industry uh, issue. So that's why we encourage them to work together as an industry to address the issue. Um, and we were invited to the pharmaceutical supply chain initiative, which also initiated an action plan based on our expectation, which included uh, mapping their suppliers to see which ones um, where this was relevant and also to, to share best practice on how to manage pollution. Uh, they've also invited the suppliers to, to training and a conference around this topic. Um, and then we, we commissioned another investigation to, to see if things have improved. And we published that second report and there's still uh, challenges to, to um, address. And we will continue to work on this. Um, and we're now, as the only investor, invited as, an, um, uh, as part of the pharmaceutical supply chain initiative advisory panel and that we've been since 2018. And, and I think that is a very important step in, in driving this change. Yeah, I think it's, it's a fantastic story. And um, I, I can't let it slip the fact that we also actually won an award um, for this uh, ESG engagement uh, initiative of the year from uh, environmental finance. Um, and uh, I think, you know, we don't do it for that, but I think it's nice to be recognized by the industry for these kind of initiatives that we're taking. So congratulations to you and the team uh, on that award as well. Thank you very much. And I also think it's an example of real world impact, which is what we try to achieve in the engagement work that we're doing. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning, uh, Katerina. We're now going to move on to the main section of this morning's Morning Espresso. And I am joined for that by uh, Joachim Alberg. And Joachim is the lead portfolio manager of our North American Star Strategy. Good morning, Joachim. Can you hear me? Hi, good morning, Paul. I'm here. How are Excellent. You? Yeah, all good. How's things up, up in the north? Yeah, it's good. Cold, uh, cold is coming, but we are... We are surviving. We are used to it. <laughs> Good, yeah. <laughs> and you've all got to stay in st inside anyway, so uh, no yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, let's start off. I mean, first of all, you know, you, you guys, your your bottom up uh, stock pickers, and I, I should mention that there's there's two of you, two co-portfolio managers running this strategy. Um, your bottom up stock pickers. Uh, so I guess you don't put too much focus on macroeconomic. Uh, uh, events, but I, I guess you're aware of them. And of course, the recent election that we've seen in the US uh, with President-elect Joe Biden is just too big for me to ignore. So I thought perhaps we could we could start with a question about that, because um, I'm wondering whether you're seeing any sort of big head or, or perhaps even tailwinds for um, North American equities due to the, you know, the change in, in administration there. Um, or, or perhaps maybe it doesn't make any difference at all. What do you think? Yeah, sure. Uh, interesting and uh, big questions, obviously, and uh, <clears throat> all over in the press now. Um, but I mean, the, the, the big thing for us is that we are predominantly looking uh, at the economic cycle, which we think always trumps the political cycle. 
so to speak, who is sitting mm. in the in the White House. Um, and especially today, maybe that is even more true than ever because uh, the base case is that we are our, on our way out of the pandemic, and uh, we 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 see that the global economies will stage a significant recovery next year. So, a very important factor right now is obviously the fiscal spending, uh, and regardless of who is sitting in the White House, uh, there will be uh, a big package uh, that we see. So. I mean, there are a lot of potential tailwinds to start with from that economic cycle. Uh, and when this comes, it usually is uh, beneficial to opening up trade, so to speak, in maybe banks and industrial sectors. Mm. But also, if we come back to, to, to your question about uh, the election, of course, it matters. And... Uh, what we have right now is uh, that we, we have a, a divided situation or maybe even a, a Senate that is controlled by the Republicans. So in, in that sense, we are talking about uh, maybe the best of both worlds for markets in general, because it will be harder to implement tax hikes and, and uh, negative effects for the companies. But of course, then, uh, the thing also coming back to the Biden especially is that we, we see that the, the spending on the infrastructure, it will be, of course, in a greener way than if we had another president, for example. Mm -hmm. So there will be more spending on renewable energies uh, instead of maybe conventional oil, which could have been an example with another president. So in that sense, we, we see a lot of positive uh, tailwind for the more renewable companies that we have uh, in our portfolios. And then, of course, it is a more uh, centric precedent to start with. Um, and uh, in, the, in that sense, uh, this is a pretty good outcome uh, as we see so far. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think you know, the, the biggest change potentially could be on the ESG side, couldn't it? I think you know, Joe Biden has already said that he, he wants to return to the Paris Agreement pretty much from day one uh, of his presidency. So um, so that's that. And you've just touched on, as well on, on the other thing, uh, infrastructure um, and of course the, the, the move to renewables. Um, do you think that by the, the Joe Biden uh, administration will also change the US way of thinking around ESG in, in terms of, you know, do you think that could have a more positive um, impact on US companies and, you know, closing this ESG gap that there is between the European companies and, the, and perhaps the US companies? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I would say here that, yes, this is uh, accelerated in this scenario. And also, it was clearly also underway before Biden was there and when Trump, even before Trump. And we, we can say that during the last three years, it has been so much money in general flowing into ESG strategies mm. um, and the teams in many management teams in US companies, they have been in, on, under significant pressures from global shareholders to start on reporting on these very important questions. So, I mean, we have various calls with our responsible investment teams and I can say that in the beginning it was tougher to, to get a hold of information that we asked for. But now when, when, when the investors 
including ourselves, which are four runners here, we are voting with our feet, so to speak. I would say that it has become a lot easier in the US. And you're right, they might be behind in some regards, and some companies especially are not reporting at all at it, and they are not happy to talk about it maybe, but also mm -hmm. we already today find a lot of good ESG name to invest in. For example, in the regulated utilities, we have companies like Excel Energy that are uh, retiring coal-based plants uh, and replacing them with wind and solar. Uh, so, so, I mean, we, we find a lot of companies and Ecolab that are saving for water and uh, energy waste. So, I mean, it's a long list of, of companies already there. But, of course, it is an accelerator, I think, uh, right now when Biden is there. And, and it can be even more uh, an important factor, for sure. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's right. Um, so perhaps we should move on to uh, the North American style strategy. And uh, you've been posting some pretty out, um, pretty impressive outperformance since we transformed the, the strategy into an ESG solution. Unfortunately, I'm not allowed to tell our listeners uh, quite how well you're doing because I'll get in trouble with our compliance team. So uh, I'll let them look that up for themselves. But uh, I can tell you it does look impressive. Uh, what are the key concepts um, of your investment philosophy and, and you know, how does that contribute to, to the success story that you've been building? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, maybe we can uh, uh, talk about this uh, process because, I mean, that is obviously where we start uh, this uh, fund when we started uh, the global fund as well before and now in the North American, we have the same process and we are obviously active managers and we're trying to find the, the best stocks uh, in each, each sectors. Um, so, so we have a very rigorous process for new entrants into the fund. And we're doing the same modeling, uh, mm -hmm. even if it's a, another sector that the responsible analyst is covering, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a kind of a two-bucket approach of stocks. So I have a slide I want to show you on that, how, how we are constructing the portfolio, basically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, so I mean, here is our thinking then. And the first bucket, which is around... 70% of, of the portfolio. This is what we refer to as moat and tailwind stocks. Mm -hmm. So this is where we see attractive long-term returns on a risk-adjusted basis. And we think it's pretty easy to establish the, the moat and tailwinds in the stocks that we see. So the risk contribution per uh, investment is pretty low here. And this allows us to focus more on the other part of the portfolio, which you can see is the second bucket, the expectations gap. Mm -hmm. And this is most important for the long-term returns also, because here, this is a smaller part of the portfolio, around 30% then. Mm -hmm. But what we do here is that we take a materially different view versus the market. So this could be very attractive upside when we are right. And this could be also a lot more research intensive. So we, we, this can be months of due diligence uh, when we do our research in this. Um, so this is ba the basis of how it's uh, constructed. So, so I think the benefit which we think it gives us is that we only take the risk that we want to take. And we're also doing this within all the different 
sectors without going out too much on being any kind of thematic investor. So we're really doing it in each sector the same way. So everyone is specially specialized in their sector and building up this moat and tail with and expectations gap stock, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned just there that the Global Stars equity strategy, because um, both you and, and Johan, the co-portfolio manager for this fund, also manage uh, the Global Stars um, equity strategy as well. So, and, and again, actually, that has a fantastic track record. Uh, again, I, I can't tell you what it was, but it's great. Um, so the, the question is, is, I guess, are you just taking the best US ideas from the global stars and plugging it into the US stars or is there more to it than that? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it, we started with uh, around 65% when we, we took this portfolio in-house, we, you know, because the global fund had around 65% exposure to to US, so we had around 65% uh, covered through our analysts and fund managers for the global product already. So we knew these companies fairly well, and we had followed them for some years. So it was a lot easier to to start this product. It, it was very synergistic in that sense to speak. Mm-hmm. But of course, it is another risk also of running a global portfolio with the European and all the Asian countries and mm. all the macro factors, etc. So this is obviously one geography. So we also needed to add a, a lot more new stocks. So it was a research intensive process in the beginning uh, mm. to add the rest of the 35%, so to speak. But the, the main portfolio we, we had already covered. So in that sense, it was very good for us to, to start this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right at the beginning, you know, the, the, when I asked you the first question, you, you also mentioned how important the economic cycle or the business cycle is to to the process. Uh, you said that's much more important than everything else. And uh, so I just, uh, you know, I know that you incorporate that into the into the process in, in a big way. So why do you think it's so important um, and, and how does it lead to, you know, the changes that you make to the portfolio? Yeah. Uh, I have a slide here, if you can look on okay. that and can yeah. explain a little bit how we think here. Uh, yeah, so I mean, exactly. So I mean, yes, we are bottom up, we are focused on the sectors uh, and as specialists, but both me and Johan, we have 35 years combined experience of covering cyclical stocks. We were both analysts, we were looking at industrial sectors, oil mining, uh, pulp and paper, etc. So we do think that we have some kind of expertise uh, where we might be in the business cycle. So mm-hmm. what we are doing here is that we are gradually adjusting positions uh, of the portfolio as we move along the cycle in terms of if we are in the recession phase, slow down or, or the recovery, etc. But what we do not do is that we take directional bets on the market because that is not clearly our expertise because we could do, do it from the company way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so when we do it, we do it uh, very gradually. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the general thesis. And I think we have another slide we can talk also a little bit so I can show that maybe, yeah. Okay. Because this is, yeah. How, if, you, if you were to look at this slide, let's say 2018 and 2019, we had maybe the opposite if you look on the highlighted financials there, 
today we have 2.4% uh, overweight, for example, in the financial sector. Mm -hmm. And back one and a half, two years ago, we were 2.5% underweight in financials. Okay. And I mean, this is how we are shifting a little bit, but this is coming from the bottom-up lens that is so important for us because now we have significant upside in our bank stocks. Uh, and that's why we have moved along this line. And back maybe one, two, half a year ago, we had a downside or it was very limited upside. And that made us make this gradual transition. And the same has been true for, for the industrial part. So we are then gradually selling and buying to this, but we are never, you know, going totally in or out or sectors because that's the, not the expertise. So we are always striving to generate bottom-up alpha from each of the buckets, but gradual adjustment. Yeah. And if we just go back to slide quickly, because uh, I saw that you'd put a green and a blue box. Are those the two buckets that you were talking about? On one of, yeah. Here we go. Yeah. You see the green, the, the green and the blue are the two buckets, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and exactly. So you can see them also there, where we have some of the molten tailwinds, and they are a little bit larger position, and in this sense contributing to the risk. But it could also be on the expectations gap that this could move up in size when we have a really good opportunity. So that's mm -hmm. also one of the models we can gradually shift. And also some stocks can go between buckets a little bit, even if that is more uh, rare. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Do those buckets, you're saying that they grow and shrink in size over time as well, as well as the companies moving within from one to the next? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. But the general thesis is that we keep 70% in the molten tailwind because that gives uh, a lot more stability to a portfolio. Yeah. And these companies, usually if they are a little bit more expensive from time to time, we are trimming the positioning more than we are never leaving the companies, so to speak, fully. I see. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure if you agree, but <laughs> I would classify this strategy as a, as a core fund. Would that is that fair? I mean, yeah. So, I mean, uh, okay. Let me let me let me ask a different question yeah. then. Okay, so growth stocks are, are are reaching like PEs, like crazy PEs, um, and the valuations are, are just don't, don't seem to stop. Um, how how do you manage that within your portfolio in, in terms of the balance between growth names and, and value names. How about that for a question? Ah, okay, okay, yeah, thank you. Uh, no, but I mean, as I said, the, the clear effort from our side is to, of course, generate consistent uh, alpha against the index. That's the main job. And we are not supposed to be under or outperforming during different market regimes, how they call them, because we are bottom up and we're supposed to always look at each sector then. Um, and I mean, we, we can say that also, you know, some of the stocks, it's very fashionable to talk about uh, growth stocks and, and value stocks. Uh, but I mean, it can also be that some of the stocks that people talk about growth, it can also be value because at some stage they become too cheap. So in general, we avoid trying to looking too much at, at this, even if we are highly aware of, the, of it and how people are trying to structure it but it's very complex uh, when you look into the details. And also if you come back to that a little bit, how, how we position the portfolio, I mean, it's starting from the bottom up world mm. that we, we, we had a situation where we had a, a lot of upside in banks now after the pandemic induced 
a recession or almost call it a depression in, in terms of loan losses and credit cycle. So, I mean, what happened then was that the bank stock sold down significantly and that made us increase the weighting. And now, of course, banks, they are what people refer to as value in the stock market. So in that sense, mm. yeah, we have moved a little bit more into that than we were before, but not because we are value growth investors, because it happened from the bottom up way to, so to speak. <laughs> but yeah, we are trying to be all, uh, agnostic to it. That That's the key. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And maybe just one thing to, to mention just here at the end, we're still running a little bit on short on time, but I just wanted to, to point out to everyone that, of course, um, whenever you see stars at Nordea, that means uh, fully integrated ESG. Um, and, you know, we've, we've covered this quite a lot in previous Morning Expresso, so we didn't want to focus on it too much today, but I think it's worth mentioning that you work very closely with the responsible investment team. Um, you rely very much on their data um, and their the proprietary in-house rating uh, that they have, the ABCs, um, and uh, that's something that's that's an integral part of, uh, of this fund as, as well. Well, both funds, the North American and the Global Stars. Is there anything, actually, maybe, yeah, is there a difference? Are there, do you have different ESG analysts for each portfolio or is it the same person covering both? No, I mean, we have a dedicated uh, ESG analysts uh, in our global team with, with Global Starch and North American Starch, uh, Philip Rangberg. So mm -hmm. that's a very significant resource that we are is he, we are sharing his meeting with the companies and he's also present during all our morning meetings the weekly meetings and when we present cases and also the cases are coming from the esg side as well so so we're really working closely together yeah yeah great well um i'm just we, we have a key takeaway slide yeah. that we're going to show now uh I'm just going to ask you at the end if there's anything to add. I hope I, I don't miss anything, but um, let's uh, let's no. go through. Yeah, I think uh, exactly. I think uh, what is important here is, uh, as we, we say from the beginning, we are bottom up investors. We are doing it from the company lens, so to speak, and uh, if we look at the, the result of the election cycle, yes, it is important, but it play, we always say that the economic cycle trumps the political cycle. Even if, of course, the Biden victory is a positive in general, because it will again raise the sustainability importance and more act as an accelerator for US companies to become even better. Um, and as we also said, we, we are starting to see this during our last three years when we are uh, talking with the companies, basically they come back to us and ask us questions. What kind of reporting do you think is good? What can we come back to? So we see a lot more openness from the companies in terms of ESG uh, engagements uh, all the time. Um, and also just what we are running, it, it is a flexible core portfolio uh, with a sound risk framework. That, that is the key that we try to take the risk that we want to take and we should be an attractive alternative to to playing core or growth funds basically great well thank you Yakim. um you, you've done my job for me there going through the uh, the key highlights and uh just i'd like to thank you for your time today um that was great and and again congratulations on 
on both funds and uh, the performance that, that you've managed to achieve on those. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you for having me. Great. So um, this time next week, that's uh, Wednesday, the 2nd of December, we will be running um, a special extended macroeconomic outlook session uh, with our resident expert, Dr. Sebastian Gali. And Sebastian will be dusting down his crystal ball. Uh, he'll be glazing, gazing into the future and he'll be giving us an idea of what to expect from a macro view in 2021. But before that, um, after the success of the previous um, afternoon Americano, we are going to do a follow-up session this Friday, the 27th of November. Um, that is going to be at three o'clock in the afternoon. And on this occasion, my guest will be Jeremy Anagnos. And now Jeremy is the manager of our global listed infrastructure strategy and so we'll be discussing the outlook for um, the asset class and Joachim mentioned it earlier you know this is an important asset class going forward um, and Joe Biden president-elect is is talked about this as well so um, I think there's going to be lots to talk about there in the meantime don't forget that we have our Stay Alert website. You'll find that at nordia.lu. And on that uh, Stay Alert microsite, you'll find all of the previous video recordings that we've done. You'll find podcasts and Q&As. Also, finally, uh, we also have a new website. So get your pens and paper ready. There's a new website. It's www. And then this is all written together, Nordia Asset Management. Dot com. So again, www.nordiaassetmanagement, all written together, dot com. Please go and have a look, see what you think. And uh, that's it for this week. I'll see you on Friday.